0: I actually had a whole wedding where I had everyone stand up the whole time. So I'm getting better at that. Uh, in fact, I had someone come up after that and say, Brian, that was the best wedding I've ever been at. And I said, why is that? And they said, it was so reverent because just we never sat down. So we're sitting down. Okay. Name is Brian Medalia. I've been at Crossroads about five years as a community life pastor. I've known Rod 20 years in ministry. And one thing about Rod, you know, is he gets fired up at times. So when I started, he's like, Brian, do you know what your job is? And I was kind of smiling like, well, you know, I moved from Wheaton, Illinois to come here. I, I think I know what it is. And he's like, let me make it simple. Make the big church small. We are a large church right now, the worshiping community. He was like, Brian, your job is to bring smaller communities together where there's times of fellowship in the word, uh, where there's time for prayer, and there's time to serve the Lord, not just individually and encourage that, but together. And I love seeing people plugged into that. So I, I, I love what I do as a community life pastor. And about once a year, which I love, I get a chance to preach. So I'm so excited to be before you. Um, You should know something about me. I'm not Dutch. It's pretty obvious. I'm what you call an Italian. So the hand, see, that's okay. There are about 10 Italians in the congregation. We all know each other. Uh, We're kind of like seasoning in in the the greater Dutch uh, sea. But you have to accommodate if you're going to live here. Ain't Dutch, ain't much. My shoes are from Amsterdam. So I'm ready to go. All right, here we go. This spring, Crossroads had an Ash Wednesday service. An Ash Wednesday is a, 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 a period when Lent starts. Now Lent is a 40 days from the Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday. At Lent, you give something up. And it could be anything. Uh, it could be carb, sugar, chocolate, pop. It could be a Netflix show, an app. You basically give that up during that time. You don't do that during those 40 days. Now the question I have is, why are you doing that? Is it because you wanna lose weight, it's a health issue? Is it you have, want self-discipline? Is it that it's a religious tradition? Another question I think that is more significant is did it really impact your walk with the Lord? Lent is a special type of fasting. We are gonna talk about today the discipleship practice of fasting. And I had a great conversation. On Tuesday, the pastors get together and anyone preaching and what we do is the pastor who's preaching shares what, they're, what text they're gonna have. We think about that. We, uh, we push, we pull, we pray. And I was doing, talking about fasting I went through it. And my dear friend, Brian Robinson, he looks at me and he's like, Brian, you know, you, you can do the whole fasting sermon, like up here, theology, Bible. He said, but it, if it really doesn't get into the people that are in the seats, then it it really doesn't matter that much. He said, you know what, I've never fasted. I don't don't know that it's impacted my walk with the Lord. So I said, okay, that's fair. One of the ways we look at fasting is the reality that other discipleship practices are well known. Can you be a Christian who doesn't pray? Can you be a Christian who doesn't uh, be in the word? Can you be a Christian who doesn't worship? Those are like given. Those, those are the big big boys. I wanna talk about fasting. And here's the crazier thing. I actually chose fasting as my discipleship practice. So I didn't pull something out of a hat and say, oh, you gotta kid me. I have seen fasting impact my life for 40 years in my walk with the Lord. So I just offer this as a way to say, to, to ask you to be engaged in that question of fasting. And could it be or would it be a discipleship practice that you would choose. First thing I wanna look at, Crossroads Bible Church is the Bible. What you find when you look up fasting is that the Bible is full of references to fasting. Old and New Testament. I'm just gonna give you a few rundown of how important it is. The Day of Atonement. In the Torah, Most High Holy Day, it talks about fasting as Moses was given the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses fasted forty days in Exodus 34. Queen Esther, she fasted. She told her relative Mordecai, "Hey, they're ready to wipe out the, the, the king. Is ready to wipe out the, all the Jewish people in the world. Please have our city pray and fast for us." Psalms 3569 fast. After the Babylonian activity, Ezra he fasted as he rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah fasted as the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. Prophets Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel. Bottom line throughout the Old Testament. And you may be saying that's great. But we have moved over to the New Testament. What does that look like? One of the things we believe at Crossroads is that God has woven from the Old Testament to the New these threads and that they're connected and that they're important. New Testament. In Luke 2, Joseph and Mary take Jesus, eight days old, to be circumcised in Jerusalem. They come across a woman named Anna the prophet. She has been at the temple for 50 plus years. And it says that she worships the Lord and she fasts and prays. And she actually looks at Mary and Joseph and says, praise to Jesus, your son is actually the Messiah. Jesus himself in his life, one of the most important aspects of his life, he's gonna start his public ministry. He's baptized by John. Spirit descends, Holy Spirit descends as a dove. Hears the voice of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert where he fasts for 40 days and is tempted by the evil one. Let's go to this is really big stuff Sermon on the Mount. I would describe the Sermon on the Mount as the three, Matthew 5 through 7, three of the most important text on what does it mean to be about the kingdom of God? How can you live in the kingdom of God? And in Matthew 6, it's clear he describes how his disciples should fast. In Matthew 9, he says that his disciples will fast. Acts 13, church in Antioch, big deal. It says they gather together they worshiped, they prayed, and they fasted. And out of this time, they chose Paul and Barnabas to send out on their first missionary journey. A scri- scripture everywhere. Also, church history. I was surprised when I started seminary that I would ever love church history. But I did, because we basically don't go from uh, the end of the... Uh, 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 the end of Paul's ministry, and then all of a sudden we, we go to 2004, where Crossroads was planted. Right? There's something before that. Protestant Reformation, 1521. Luther is basically excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He wants to take the Bible and translate it into a common language that people understand, rather than in Latin that they can't understand. A, an important part of his life and ministry. The whole world was changed, fasting. People continued to fast through the mid 20th century. I've looked at this, I don't know what happened where fasting, quote unquote, went out of style, but today, this morning, what I'd like to say is, this is an important discipleship practice. And I wanna encourage us and challenge us to look at this and say, is this something that will deepen my walk with the Lord. There's three questions we're gonna answer today, three simple ones, but important. What is fasting? Why is it important as a discipleship practice? What are practical ways to incorporate it into your life? We're gonna look at the first slide. Definition. A special time of saying no to the created things in your life so that you can say yes to the time with your creator, God. No to the created and yes to the creator. The first thing to focus on that definition is creator God. It is God-centered, it's not us-centered. And when we look at the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God, God, not the creation, God then created the heavens and the earth. And as you look to, I'm a complete science geek, so I have a photo of, this is from the Hubble Telescope. It's a photo of the the planet Saturn. I remember the first time I saw Saturn in this little telescope that I bought. I'm completely geeked out. I'm like, okay, it's right there. And then I looked at my my, uh, scope, And then all of a sudden I brought it into focus and this beautiful, beautiful yellow planet and these beautiful rings were around it. And that creation immediately made me say, praise our creator, God. Creation screams that our God is worthy of worship. So that definition starts with God. In abstaining from food, i.e., you give up, you're gonna say, at lunchtime, I'm fasting. The important thing is you take that time that you're fasting and replace it with ways to deepen your relationship with the Lord. You may have a time of prayer. You may have a time of being in the Word. You may have a time to worship. But you're making space to spend time with the Lord. If you just have a time to fast, let's say you're fasting from a certain food, uh, it's gonna be self-discipline. It's not a spiritual practice though, because it's disconnected from the creator. So that's an important thing, make this replacement. You don't have to just have a fast from food. It can be a fast from a certain activity. Maybe it's Facebook. When you look at the amount of time you're on social media would you take a time and say, this is when I usually do this. When I get home from school or from work, will I take that time and will I replace it with the time that I can walk closer to my Lord? A time of prayer, a time of in the word, a time of praying, a time of making my life my own and journaling the people that have impacted me. I could, start, I could stop the sermon here. Of course you know I'm not. But, but that is very, very simply what fasting is. The heart of fasting, uh, this is a paraphrase abroad, so I think it's okay. Um, the heart of fasting is to say no to a lesser love, which are these created things, and yes to a greater love, which is our God. That's what's happening, no to lesser love, yes to greater God. The first time I fasted, I was 18 years old. I didn't know it was a, I was fasting, I had no idea. (laughs) So what happened is my senior year of high school, I started attending Young Life, and uh, I was not a follower of Jesus. I think the leaders in Young Life were a little frightened by how I might impact the other kids in Young Life. I was that kid. So it gets to a point that, I go to Young Life Camp, Saranac, New York. Uh, We started, I think, June 4th of 1983. I hear the gospel over five days, accept Jesus. Life has changed. My mother thought I was in a cult, but that's okay. She she had no idea what was happening with me. But I went to a youth conference about a month after this happened. And it was a, well, there were 5,000 youth, ninth grade through 12th at Syracuse University for the Evangelical Free Church Conference. My friend, Rod, said, hey, Mad Dog, do you wanna go play some football? It's hard to see this old man here, but I actually had the name Mad Dog. (laughs) It's when I played football in high school and it actually carried over to college. My accountant, Craig Kibler, who I've known for 40 years, still refers me as Mad Dog. Mad Dog, we have to do your taxes. So, (laughs) it stuck. Rod was shocked when I said no. And the reason is simple. I'm from a little t- town in Western PA called Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. 10,000 people. People go nuts for football. It is, has to be, at in, in a high school football game on a Friday, you could have 1,500 people at that game, in the stands and then just circling around the track. Pittsburgh Steelers, when I grew up, Four four super bowl championships in six years players you can just start naming nfl players played football loved it beaver falls loved football so much (laughs) by senior year they would take the senior players on the team and they'd take our our photos so i had like a two by three photo of myself at the chippewa mall Mall. so it was kind of weird but i was like look at me so i football's good The reason I said no to my friend Rod and to going to play football, something created, was that I wanted to spend time with the Lord. And for two hours, because I had never read the word that much, I was in the scriptures, I was praying, I was worshiping as best I knew how. That to me is a really, really simple explanation of a fast. And I will tell you that time impacted my walk with the Lord. One of the things that that I would describe that as is um, I just had this hunger for God. I want to build on this because it really gets at the the heart of fasting. We're going to look at Psalm 63, one through five. If you can please uh, stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. Psalm 63, one through five. You, God, are my God. Let me back up. A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips on my mouth, I will praise you. The first thing you notice about, see, I wanna keep you up again. Please be seated. The first thing about that Psalm is it says, a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah unlike our Bibles where we have chapters and verses, those were all put in long after the scriptures where the canon was done, both in the Hebrew and and in the Greek, Old New Testament. This means that this Psalm gives you the context for what's happening in David's life. What's happening in David's life goes back to 2 Samuel 15 to 17. His son Absalom, handsome, charismatic, For four years, he gets the people to love him. And not only do they love him, but so many of them are saying, we wanna make you king. And David gets word, Absalom is after you. He's gonna take over your kingship. So he heads to the desert. Desert of Judah. This is where he goes to. He's leaving. His palace. he's leaving Jerusalem he's leaving the sanctuary to go there and the question that I think of with David is David what was your reaction Saul tried to kill him for years when he was really the rightful king his son Absalom is now trying to kill him so he has to go into the desert I'd like to think about I think this is helpful. David literally had to leave these created things behind. It was what I'd call a forced fast. He had to leave them and fast for them to go into the desert. And again, what's his reaction? Verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. When these things have been taken away, He hungers and thirsts for God. And he says, you are my sustainer. You are my provider. David knew that in the desert, he would meet with God, which is amazing. Verses two through four. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. In the desert, all the created things gone, he worships the Lord, he meets the Lord there. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, my singing lips will praise you. He has a hunger for God and he's satisfied. Provider, sustainer, worthy of worship, he satisfies. It's an amazing situation. I think there are, as I was thinking and praying, there are two ways this applies to us as followers of Jesus, as it relates to the desert. There are times in our lives that each of us will, have, will go into the desert. And the first category of that is that you're forced to fast and you have to go into the desert because of your circumstance. There are things you don't choose that happen in your life. Physical illness, mental illness. The word compassion literally means to suffer alongside. If it's not your pain, it's someone else's pain. And the question to be asked is, how do we react to that? Because that desert looks desolate and that time can feel painful. I think we can go back to David and his reaction that the desert was actually a good place because he knew God would meet him here. The question is, will God meet you there? If you embrace that desert but know you're seeking him, I'm convinced he will be your sustainer, your provider, you can worship him and that hunger for God will be satisfied. There's another desert experience that's totally different. Will you be willing to go into the desert? Will you be willing to lay something created aside so you can seek your Lord in that desert? Here I think is a good example. Money, time, energy usually equals an idol. There are things in our life that all of us have that we worship. You're gonna worship something. We worship the Lord or you worship something else. It gives you your security. And and one of the the best ways, I forget who who was preaching in this, but if you wanna know what an idol is, ask the question, if something was taken away, my reaction would be one of anger and disappointment. Many times that's that idol. And the ideal here, idea here is to put that down, created thing down for a season. And again, take that time though, and then spend it with the Lord, deepening a relationship with him, saying, Lord, I believe that you'll actually meet me there, sustainer, provider, that I can worship you there, that I can be weaned from the created things, weaned from this idol in my life and I will actually, rather than hungering for that, I will hunger more for you. So those deserts, great, great opportunities for us to draw closer to him. God cares a lot about our motives, our heart. Fasting is no different. There's no formula. In fact, if you do a fasting a certain way, with a certain attitude and a certain heart, it can do more harm than good, because you can become self-centered and self, uh, uh, having people look at you as self-righteous. Now, I didn't have a chance to preach last week, so I feel okay about this. I'm gonna actually have you stand again for the reading of God's word. I will have you sit at a certain point. We're gonna go to Isaiah 58, one through seven. Isaiah 58, one through seven. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed And for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fasting, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, unite, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wonder with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You may be seated. The Israelites have already had, the Babylonian activity has already taken place. They're coming back, the remnant. And Isaiah gives a word from the Lord to them. And bottom line for, for this remnant is they're saying, why isn't God giving us what we want? You know, I mean, almost like God's the genie. We're doing the right thing. We deserve to get something from God. They say they're seeking him out. They say they wanna know his ways. They say they wanna draw near to him. But Isaiah exposes their posture, their attitude. And he says, this is the way and the attitude you have to have when you fast, and that is a humble one. Humility, is, it's a simple word, but it's an amazing word. Humility literally means to make yourself low, in stature, low, and at the same time, lifting someone else or something else high. So when you think of Isaiah 6, That is a posture of humility. He makes himself low when he realizes the great God who fills the temple. So he exposes that, you have to be humble. He also, uh, Isaiah teaches that fasting cannot be done in a self-centered or self-righteous way. Um, We wanna look at Matthew six again in the Sermon on the Mount. And he basically says, don't draw attention to yourself when you fast. This is between you and me. So if you're going around and you look distressed and, and, and you almost kind of like, whoa, is me, or you know, someone may even ask you, wow, you, are you fasting? You, look, you don't look too good. God's like, don't do that. Basically, draw close to me. The world doesn't need to know you're fasting. Because if you do, it becomes you-centered. It becomes self-centered. And it needs to be humble, focused on God. Jesus actually uses the term hypocrite when he talks about fasting in Matthew six. Hypocrite literally means in the Greek to be an actor or to act. So they are acting for the other people and they are seeking their applause. Do you like me? Do you approve of me? Are you impressed by me? He also teaches about self-righteousness. We have the parable in Luke 18. Pharisee, religious leader, and a tax collector. Chief among sinners. They've sold out to Rome. Exorbitant taxes on their people. The Pharisee, looking up to God, confidently says, Dear Lord, I fast twice a week. And I am so thankful to you that I'm not like that tax collector who's a sinner. Self-righteous, no problem saying that. The tax collector has the attitude that you should have when you pray and fast. He does not even look up to heaven. He does not look up to God because he says, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. He has a humble, honest heart. And Jesus says, which of the two are forgiven? And we know it is the tax collector because he is humble and he's not self-righteous. We live in a culture that is very self-centered. You could be the creator of your own life. That's pumped into you everywhere. You're the creator, you make it happen. The other thing with the self-centeredness Again, I'll kind of jump on the uh, social media a little bit, but it can become addictive to see how many likes can I get. Because if I get likes, I get applause. Someone likes what I'm doing. They like me. And when you get a dislike, it can be devastating. What did I do wrong? What kind of person am I? So that self-centeredness is something to think about. We live in a culture that's self-righteous. Again, I'll go back to social media. I'm an old guy. I'm only on Facebook. But um, I friended a guy named Mike that I knew from high school. I hadn't talked to him in, in years, 40 years, really. And uh, I started reading his posts. And the only way I'd describe them is they were righteous anger. He had a post about something every day And he pretty much made it. This is the way you have to think. If you don't think this you're an idiot, you need to come to my side. And if anyone disagreed with him, he fired one off right at him. And he kept us up. I read it about three days. I'm like, I don't, I don't need that. It's just it's a self-righteousness. As Christians, we ask ourselves, self-centered, self-righteous, are we any different? And I confess that preaching, you put in the time, you put in the work, but when you're actually here, you're preaching, it's very easy to be self-centered and say, I want your applause. I want you to say to me, this sermon impacted my life. As opposed to God, does it glorify you? Is it about your word? Is it about feeding your people? Impact them through your spirit, through your word. I think, and also my colleagues, I want my colleagues to say that. I specifically, more more specifically, I, I I want Rod. I've known Rod 20 years. The question is, are we as Christians any different in looking for that applause from others? Fasting is a discipleship practice that pleases the Lord because you are humble, creator, created. You are the, the Lord that these worshiped. I am the one on my face, similar to Revelation 4 and 5 that Dr. Stoll talked about. That's the posture. And we have to watch the self-centeredness and the self-righteousness. The second part of Isaiah 55 speaks to the fact that the Hebraic understanding, if you know something, if you have a piece of uh, 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 information in your head, If you've memorized something, it has to come out through action. Right? The foolish builder, the wise and foolish foolish builder, Jesus said at the end of Sermon on the Mount hey, you know what? If you listen to this and you agree with this, but you don't do anything with it, you're a fool. If you listen to it and you do something with it, you're wise. And basically, Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, calls out the Israelites because of their lack of actions. Is is this not the kind of fasting I want? Bring justice, set the oppressed free, feed the hungry, give the poor shelter, the naked, clothe them. Fasting is a way, as we draw close to the Lord, fasting is a way that I'm confident that God will reveal to you what would you do that day? What would you do that week? It's the 90-10. 10 10 percents here, locker room. The other 90% Monday through Saturday is out there. And again, I think a great, the great thing about fasting is, again, it, 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 it can be a time that is just tied to um, a time where you can get away from the distractions of the world and focus on the Lord. This is a small, small example, but... Um, it was about a week and a half ago. Some of the pastors said, hey, let's go over to uh, Jimmy John's for lunch. I actually was fasting. Um, so I, uh, I, I thought I will go over for the fellowship. So I go over there and uh, I'm with Gabe and we're just about at Jimmy John's and a guy walks by and he's like, um, hey, excuse me, could you give me some money? Uh, I just wanna buy a sub. And what I did was I went like tunnel vision. I didn't look at him, I didn't acknowledge him. Just walked past, started going up the steps. Then all of a sudden you get up to top of the steps and I'm thinking, it just hit me. You're fasting, you are deciding to be hungry so that you can hunger for God. And here's someone who is hungry for food and you would not provide that. Hypocritical. And again, I think during that fasting, I'm confident those actions and those, Lord, what would you have me next come out? It's one thing for me to fast in in my perspective, but I thought a great perspective would be Pastor Lee Eklonf. He's known me 40 years, he discipled me, he's an amazing individual. So I did a FaceTime with Pastor Lee. I'm like, hey, tell me how fasting's impacted your life. And he said, well, actually, Brian, there have been times where it hasn't impacted my spiritual life at all. That's not what you want to hear. I'm I'm like, you're my example. So I wanted to know more about that. I'm like, can you explain? He said, you know what? The times when it didn't matter is when I fasted, but I didn't spend any time with the Lord. I didn't make any room for him. Then he said, I did another fast right after that. And he blocked out time. For him, it was lunch. He blocked out lunches. And he said, rather than lunch, I'm gonna spend time with the Lord. And these are the three things he shared with me. One had to do with making his faith his own. He felt like when he was at that time with the Lord, in his head, all these photos of people started to come up. And he realized these were people that deeply impacted his life with Christ. And that action for him was, I need to contact some of them and let them know that and encourage them. Another time he said, it was as if I was in the tent of meeting. Just a great time of worship with the Lord. The last time that he did it, he was in prayer. And he started thinking about the grudges he's had with people over the last 40 years of ministry as a pastor within the church. And he was convicted and talked about repentance and going back and saying, I need your forgiveness. But that just made it very, very poignant This is where I do the ask. All right, uh, what's it mean for you? And I'm gonna be really, really specific. What does it mean for you this week? You, fasting can be insanely uh, complicated. If you, go on the, uh, if you go on the internet, fasting can just be crazy. You have to do it this way, you don't have to do it this way. It doesn't have to be. In fact, I would say don't do that. Just do one, one thing of fasting this week. Prayerfully consider, first of all, Lord, should I be fasting? Don't take, my, don't take me, go to the Lord and say, should I fast? Would this draw me closer to you? The second thing is to make room for fasting. Like Lee said, if, if you don't make room in your schedule, it's not gonna happen, you know that. If something's important, you'll make time. You know, it's like a basketball player, you pull the basketball, rebound, and you swing your elbows. You have to make that time. Again, I said just that idea of uh, the Holy Spirit prompting you as to what you f- should fast from. Maybe it's a food fast. Maybe it's something that's an idol in your life or something you want to put aside for a season. And, and the real bottom line is, again, just do it. Start small between you and the Lord. And my prayer is that it would really draw, draw close to you the other, the final thing I'd say is it doesn't have to be done, done alone in the sense as two friends, as a couple, as a small group. You can decide to fast individually and then to come back together to say this is what the Lord's been teaching me. So it doesn't have to be individual. Community can be there. There's a QR code that you can scan at the end of, after the benediction. And the idea here is that... Um, it has simple ways to fast, food fast. It has celebration of discipline by Richard Foster, hunger for God by John Piper. Uh, and again, the bottom line is that there's no doubt this is a discipleship practice um, that can bring about that hunger and satisfaction from the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, Lord, We know that first and foremost, uh, our life with you is a walk with you. Uh, I do pray specifically, I pray fasting can be one of those discipleship practices that you use to humble us, to put aside those things in our life that are crowded, those, those created things, and focus in on the great creator God that you are. Amen. We're gonna move now from, when we think of God as a creator, we're gonna move to think of God as our redeemer. And one of the amazing things is we go to Revelation 5 is we see the lamb who was slain. Jesus is that lamb. And when we see the bread and the cup, it reminds us of his sacrifice. The other thing though is we're beyond the cross, beyond the resurrection, This can also be a time of celebration for the fact that you have life in Christ and this is what it took.